2: We woke up Sunday morning with news of no Lamar Jackson, no Hollywood Brown, no Jimmy Smith, no Brandon Williams, no anybody. And yet, the Ravens persevere with a 16-13 win at Soldier Field against the Bears. Tyler Huntley, a lot of things to talk about and some big news for us to discuss this week on Pod Like a Raven. Yet another just impossible, unlikely, improbable Ravens come from behind win. I'm Antonio Barbera, and I don't know how they keep doing it. They're probably not a very good football team, and yet, 7-3, they are tied for the fewest losses in the AFC, your Baltimore Ravens, and we are here to talk about it. And I'm joined by my co-hosts starting first. With Jace Evans on the West Coast. Jace, I don't know. They they might be the worst team in the history of the Ravens franchise. They might be the best team in the history of the Ravens franchise. I do not know what to make of them. Uh, Faith and Guts, Antonio. That's how they got this done, according to John Harbaugh. Um I am a hundred percent
3: with you though. Um, I don't I don't get it. Every 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 game I watch, I feel like you know, I'm gonna have some nuance take. Like yesterday I was prepared to be like you know what? This was frustrating, but it's okay. Like Tyler Huntley played well. It's okay to lose when your quarterback's suddenly out and you don't expect it. Um, And and then the final three minutes of this game happened. And I just, I'm just flabbergasted. I'm staring at my screen and I'm sending a flurry of text messages to various people, including the group chat. This, this team just leaves me dumbfounded week after week. And, You said it. I mean, there's a, there's a world where the Ravens are, are, are are like two and seven, two and eight right now. Like they've had two convincing wins all season, but yeah, here they are seven wins, three losses, first place in the AFC North. Um, and yeah, I don't get it, but it's been a wild ride and certainly a season to remember. I don't know that it'll end in anything meaningful, but uh, we'll remember the ride. That's for, that's for sure.
2: And joining on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. What do you make of this, of yet another? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm out of words. I'm out of adjectives to describe this game and this team, Tim. So just the Ravens. What what what's up?
4: Well, I am going to steal the thoughts from, uh, and I'm gonna. I hope I don't butcher this name, but Aditi Kinkabwala. Uh, she was talking about the Ravens. She's from NFL Network. I'm sure you know CBS Sports, and I'm just gonna steal it from her. Stop with the Ravens or lucky BS. And I'm censoring myself here. When you lead your division and have seven wins, despite nearly having 20 starters and contributors on injured reserve and pull out a win with a backup quarterback on two hours notice, that's not luck. That's coaching. That's mindset. And it's knowing how to come up with the big play. The Ravens, man, it's the cardiac kids again. I came into this game with no expectation after Tyler Huntley was, uh, came in. I came in with even less expectation when Andy Dalton came in, which we're going to get to. And they just keep finding ways to, to entertain us. And boy, what a, what a win that they had to have before this stretch, as we've talked about, you know, many a time here on this podcast.
2: We are going to get into all that happened in that game and all that happened between maybe the three of us during that game. But first, want to get some big news out for Pod Like a Raven. Happy to announce we are officially, as of a couple of days ago, a fan-sided podcast. We will be representing the Baltimore Ravens franchise football club team sport for Fan-Sided, a Minute Media fandom-focused sports lifestyle and entertainment network of more than 300 websites. Make it more than 301 because Pod Like a Raven, officially a fan-sided team podcast. I'm going to turn to my, uh, my two co-hosts. Guys, it only took us 98 episodes, roughly, but uh, but we did it. Good job by us. Uh, Tim, very excited to be working with, with Fansided.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And and the, the guys over at Ebony Bird as well, who are the Ravens blog there, you're going to be able to find when you read their articles. We will be right there on the front page for you as well, uh, embedded in and so you can just have a, if, you, if you're one of these people that can multitask and you can read and listen at the same time, better, even better. If not, just download us on your favorite podcast platform. You can listen to us later, whenever you'd like. I would do it before the games just to make sure. If you do it after the games, we're probably going to be egregiously wrong about so many things. So you you don't want that to happen. Uh, but yeah, really, really cool opportunity for us. We appreciate the the people over at Fansided for giving us the chance to kind of, you know, voice our opinion to maybe a bit wider of an audience. So still keep telling your friends, still keep rating, subscribing, reviewing, letting us know. Pod like Raven on Twitter, Instagram, pod like Raven at gmail.com. But you can also find us now on Fansided, which is great.
2: And never forget, uh, the, uh, you know, our grandmothers who were some of our first listeners, the, the, yes. The relatives the friends you know you guys you guys you guys made this happen you're the real the real heroes as we as we approach thanksgiving and give you the real mvp uh, you
4: are yeah, the real mvp
2: yeah we, we thank you uh Jace, any thoughts on uh a Raven joining with fans? Yeah,
3: up? it's incredibly exciting. It's 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 hard in many ways to believe we've a been doing this podcast this long already, but to be able to, yeah, hopefully you know just kind of grow this community. It's it's I I always find it so incredible some of the people we hear from on, on social media, um, who listen to a podcast, and it's really humbling in in that respect and. Uh, I hope to hear from more of you all as uh, hopefully we get uh, more and more of your ear holes. So um, yeah, I'm just, it's an incredibly exciting opportunity. And uh, yeah, love talking Ravens. I think about this team uh, about 50% of the time at least at minimum when I'm in my waking hours. So uh, yeah, to be able to just kind of share that fandom and love of this
2: team uh, uh, with all of you um, looking forward to it. Tim, you mentioned uh, a minute ago, listen to us you know, earlier in the week before the games as opposed to immediately after the games for uh, some some takes that may be a little bit stale. Such as me picking the Ravens to be six and a half point at least winners in this game against the Bears with Lamar Jackson at the helm. That that was news that changed as the week went along by Friday, I think it was. Started to hear some whispers that he was sick again. All of a sudden he was 50-50 and then inactive. As of Sunday morning, but the Ravens with Tyler Huntley persevering winner 16-13. So let's get into this game now, guys. Offensively, we have to start with the quarterback. We have to start with Huntley. Did just enough to win, uh, you know, I guess. He was dying to fumble the ball uh, on every single rollout. Uh, he succeeded on, on one of them. Um, a little bit maybe conservative as an approach with the team to start this game, a lot of runs, even runs on, on third downs, but then seemed to settle down and open some things up uh, as this game went along and just peaked with that game winning touchdown drive late in this game. What are your guys thoughts on Tyler Huntley?
4: I thought he was serviceable. I mean, it's again, as I said before, I didn't have any expectation when he got named starter, it was Okay. I guess we're just going to give this one to Nagy. That's fine. Whatever. I'm, I'm sure the bears fan will love uh, winning games to keep that man in his job because they' he's a fan favorite over in Chicago, but there were a lot of good things. And it's good to see a guy that is obviously Lamar light. You know, he, he can kind of do some of the same stuff. It's not like for a, for an offense that's pretty specific and it's not what it used to be, obviously in years previous, but he can kind of do some of the stuff Lamar does. And it's a, Obviously, not comparing the two. I don't. I don't think Huntley is anywhere close to the level of his good friend, um, Lamar Jackson. But he stayed composed the entire time. I mean, one of the things I was impressed with. They went eight for seventeen on third and fourth down. Fourth downs. They had a lot of long third and fourth downs too, which was frankly quite annoying. A lot of third and eleven to third and twelve, after you know some bad plays on first and second down and that's one thing that's hampered this offense all year. And the fact that he was able to, you know, it's not eight for 17 isn't magnificent by any stretch of the imagination, but he was able to keep them in that game. And then yeah, to, to have the poise to pull off that drive, um, Rashad Bateman, by the way, getting real good already at DPI, which I'm a big fan of already knows how to get that call, which is going to benefit us for years to come. If you didn't watch the Joe Flacco, Torrey Smith offensive <laughs> heyday, that was the Baltimore Ravens. Um, to have that poise after what happened um, with Andy Dalton and we'll get to that later. And just the flashbacks and nightmare memories that I kept having over and over and over again. Um, It was really, really encouraging to see, especially we have a quarterback that just loves getting sick. You know, the fame we've got the poop game. I I know it wasn't the diarrhea, but come on, we're all calling it the poop game. (laughs) We've got COVID twice. We've got, Now this, where he he, apparently was such a bad chest cold that he couldn't breathe and and certain things like that. So, look, it's always going to be a downgrade, but you have a bit more faith in a guy like Huntley now um, to maybe spot start and step in and get these. It's going to be an ugly game, but maybe pull these victories out when you need to. And I should mention, breaking as we record, Trace McSorley is no longer on this football team. He has just been signed by the Arizona Cardinals honestly I'm kind of happy for him that's fine and we can get all this stupid trace fandom that is nonsense to me out of this Baltimore uh spotlight here but or Baltimore area I should say but now Huntley is even more of that guy and I think um I think they made the right call obviously when picking the backup in the preseason
3: yeah I was gonna say Tim we we talked about that in the offseason and, uh and how we felt that Huntley should be the guy and I think obviously this game kind of justifies it. it it's weird I thought he played very well for the most part um it's a little strange to say that when you look up and you've scored all of nine points, but you know, he he put them in a position at that point to still win that game nine to seven. Um, but then as Tim said, just the poise and to lead that drive. You mentioned Bateman, Tim. Uh, the Ravens have dr- uh, drawn three defensive pass interferences all season, and Bateman's uh, drawn every single one of them, which is uh, an interesting uh, stat. But yeah, I, I I was just very impressed. I mean, the the throw to Watkins um, especially was impressive because he was under siege all day, di- uh, all day. The, the, uh, the bears clearly watched what the dolphins did, um, and, uh, responded with the blitz. According to Jameson Hensley, uh, Huntley was blitzed on 28 of 44 of his dropbacks, which is 64% of his dropbacks, uh, which is the highest, uh, blitz percentage any team's thrown this year. So this is going to be a trend. Uh, we saw against Miami, um, you know, he was sacked six times, um, but that being said, on the biggest play of the game, he he feels the pressure. He rolls right, and he just lofts a beautiful ball to Sammy Watkins, who I think you know he's had his ups and downs this year, but he's had also two of their probably biggest catches of the year. So uh, great signing as far as I'm concerned. But that, that was that whole that whole drive was just great. He, he you know he found Duvernay up the sideline on a kind of busted play for 20 yards. You get the DPI. It was just very methodical and very <laughs> stunningly quick. Uh, you know the Bears take the lead. I, and you, I, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting much with, I was like, it was a, such a struggle all day to get to nine points with 341 to go. And then you get the ball back down, down a touchdown with 141 to go. And they made it look like kind of, you don't want to say easy, but like, cause that was a third and 12 conversion on that Watkins play, but Kind of easy. Like, he looked like a veteran. He looked like a pro, like, with many years of reps. And especially to do it on such a short notice. Like, you mentioned Lamar's illness, uh, Tim. Um, they thought it was, like, clearing up. Uh, it, Lamar practiced Friday, and it seemed like he was going to go. And then they basically said just all his symptoms returned on Saturday. So not sure what was going on there, why Friday he was good, and then suddenly – I mean, he did not look well, the videos they showed of him walking off the team bus. So – Huntley apparently got the call he was going to start Sunday morning, so to to kind of step in in that short a notice uh,
2: and perform how he did, I thought it was very admirable. One thing we cannot forget of the situation that he was put in, this was not a strong roster whose superstar quarterback was out and they needed the backup to fill in. This was a roster that's been depleted all season. This was a quarterback who was single-handedly, basically, leading this team to wins, and that's the player you have go out on... Sunday morning, let's say. And then Tyler Huntley has to step into that and try to win a game. Did not get a ton of help from his running backs. Got very little help from his offensive line, specifically his two tackles who seemingly were beat on every single play on all those blitzes that you mentioned. And yet he was still able to make just enough plays to keep the Ravens in it, to tack on field goals when they needed them, and then to have that unbelievable drive, which... You're right, Jace. They almost did it too quickly by, <laughs> by leaving you know, all of 22 seconds left on the clock. He did, however, get help from Sammy Watkins. As you mentioned, Jace, a nice bounce-back game for him. Mark Andrews, this was a big moment for him. No Hollywood Brown in this game. You want to be the guy? You have to step up in these type of games when the number one receiver is out and when the quarterback is out. And I think he did, had the unbelievable... One-handed catch in the first half, which like the tippet to yourself kind of play, uh, and then led the team, I believe, in in both receptions and receiving yards. So a solid game uh, game from Mark Andrews, guys. What else did you like offensively?
4: Well, I think yeah, with Mark Andrews, you have to be you have to be that guy for a backup. You know, Mark Andrews is a big target. Tyler Huntley, not the most accurate guy. I mean, you mentioned the one-handed grab. He made a couple a couple sliding catches as well that, you know, you have to have this radius for this guy. It's his first NFL start on two hours notice. You have to come up big, not even in the, you know, we talk about the Mark Andrews big game narrative thing that we do over on Pod Like a Raven. If you're just listening, I'll fill you in a little bit. He sucks in big games and he needs to show up. And he has started to do that more and more and more. And today was a big game in a different way because he had to be the safety blanket. It looked like Mark Andrews in the early Lamar days where... Everything was coming to him. First read was Mark Andrews. If it wasn't there, well, I guess we're just throwing it out of bounds, basically, is what it seemed like a lot of the time. And Andrews stepped up. Um, I, I do want to give a shout out to, I think, Devontae Freeman played relatively well. Uh, 16 carries, 49 yards. And for a guy who, I wouldn't say he's a shifty back, but definitely likes to you know move laterally a lot of the time. He was starting to get north and south a little bit more, um, had some great plays, um obviously the touchdown as well which was huge and I mean look the only other thing that I really enjoyed on offense was they gave it to Pat Ricard on a on a third or I think it was a fourth down and short and Big Patty Pancake absolutely mullered some Bears defenders he was hitting the backfield and said yeah no, no I don't think so chopped the feet kept moving for an extra two three yards give Project Pat the ball more and more and more and more please
3: yeah I I just to touch on andrews briefly especially that first catch you mentioned antonio the tip like that was his first catch of the game and i feel like we've we've Tim mentioned the big game thing with him It definitely seems like if andrews catches the first one he's gonna have an awesome game but like you just have these games he'll drop one early and then you're like oh no and he, he won't but he, he makes that just absolutely spectacular catch he had that really nice catch um well, that well, that uh, more of the effort where he catches it and kind of lunges for the first down with a great reach and stays up. And that was a nice third down conversion too, um, late in the game. But uh, the only other thing I guess offensively I want to touch on just I'm, back to Huntley just mentioned is um, kind of speaking to his poise throughout the whole game, not just on the final drive. He was picked off, but it was a spectacular play, I thought. I was just very impressed, like, even though he was under siege, he didn't really force anything. And especially in the face of this blitz, you know, we we could complained on this program um, in the the wake of that Miami disaster about how, you know, at times Lamar can try to make too many, make the, a play, just every, every play is never dead to him. But I felt like Huntley did a kind of a good job of, like, when all was lost, just kind of tucking it and taking the sack. Or... um just kind of, you know, quick reads, just quick hits. And that's, I think, a credit to Greg Roman, too. It seemed like, just on the whole, even though he was sacked a lot, like, I felt like the offense flowed a little better and responded to the blitz a little better, um, certainly, than they did in Miami. And Jeff Rebick pointed this out, and I'll be honest, I didn't really think about it while watching Um the game, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, no delay of game issues with your backup quarterback. No, uh, Seemingly no real getting to the line super late. Oh, it seemed point. like a point of emphasis, and uh, it just felt like they were just more prepared, even with a backup quarterback, than certainly they were for that Miami game.
2: Chase, that's such a good... They're both good points. I want to talk about the checkdowns that he did. Devonta Freeman had six catches in this game on six targets. He looked to him... <laughs> Whenever he didn't see, you know, things downfield, whenever the pressure was coming, he looked to dump it off. And earlier in the game, maybe halfway through the game roughly, Tony Romo, they, you know, they did a highlight or a replay of one of the downs, and Tony Romo said, now Huntley, you know, he's the backup. So there was a guy open downfield for a second, but he didn't try to hit him. He waited too long, and then he took the check down to Freeman. But he did it five or six times, and then on the last drive... Freeman goes out into the flat, and the Bears defender, whoever it is, just runs to try to you know take that out, and that's when he hits Devin Duvernay down the sidelines on like a out-and-up move, and he was open, and he hit him, and it was a 20-yard completion where he was able to get out of bounds. And that's the evolution that you like to see of a backup quarterback in-game. So just, you know, even with maybe the stats not being so gaudy, just you got to give him like an A-grade based on this performance and the situation that he was in defensively meanwhile boy another just the ravens defense defenses again as they have done in several games this year the first drive for the bears with justin fields looking uh, pretty strong moving the ball downfield to get converting some first downs and then in classic bears fashion they miss a Kyro santos misses a 40 yard field goal where he misses the net entirely <laughs> on a 40 yard <laughs> field goal at home in the first quarter and that kind of seemed to deflate either the Ravens' defense figured something out or that deflated the Bears' offense because they really did not do anything after that moving forward, at least with Justin Fields. Ravens pitch a first-half shutout at 6-0 at the end of the second quarter, and the defense is looking strong. And then on sort of an innocuous sort of stretch play by Justin Fields, he injures his ribs, and who comes in but the Red Rocket, Andy Dalton, Jason and i run to our phones to try to save tim from what we knew was coming we truly we yelled at him to turn the tv off we didn't want him to have to watch andy dalton try to lead a comeback against the ravens yet again and andy dalton <clears throat> immediately brings the bears back guys i don't This was the most. Jason and I are going to get into something a little bit later about uh, maybe the biggest play of the game for the Ravens defense. But before that, I I turn to you guys and your thoughts on Justin Fields in the first half and then Andy Dalton coming in in the second half.
4: So, a couple things, because I don't know when we're going to do this. So, let's just do it now. The Andy Dalton thing. One, all right. If you're a new listener to this podcast and you don't (laughs) know, I went to the game on New Year's Eve against the Bengals. That knocked us out of the playoffs. The, Hail, the Andy Dalton Hail Mary. Uh, the With the wind chill, it felt about negative 10 the entire time. After that game, soul-crushing, heart-ripped-out-of-your-chest moment where the stadium falls silent and you're just screaming expletives all the way to your car because Andy Dalton did it again. This is not the first time he has broken the Ravens' hearts, by the way. This is just the one I was in person for. And getting frostbite from, you know, I looked like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant trying to (laughs) snuggle up in a bear, basically, because I was so cold the entire time. I then had to drive down to Washington, D.C. to do some celebrating for New Year's Eve. I did not want to celebrate, but my good friend Antonio Barbera, who is with me here, opens the door to my friend Garrett and I, who was also at the game with me. And instead of saying hello, instead of saying Happy New Year, he said the only thing that he should have said... Don't worry about it. We have plenty of booze that he did. We did okay. And the rest is history. But from that, from that point forward, these two know to do not bring this game up to me ever. I, it, is the, it is one of the worst moments of my life. And you know, some other bad real life stuff has gone on in my life. And this is up there. It's a top five worst moment of my life. And maybe that's, I, I, I am very fortunate. I will say that, but all kidding aside, what happened we fast forward to Sunday what you guys both don't know is that I muted the group chat because I was tired of Jace complaining about Lamar Jackson and I said please stop and I hit do not disturb on the pod like a raven f- infamous famous pod like a raven group chat so I missed your text that said Tim yeah. turn the tv off until later what I did do, and I was actually watching game with said friend Garrett, who was with me that day, and we continue to complain about Andy Dalton to this day, he comes in, we look at each other and go, oh no, oh no. I was more scared of him than I was the promising rookie Justin Fields, and it was not even close. And Andy Dalton stinks, but the Ravens fan base is the only fan base that I think is terrified of the Red Rifle or the Red Rocket or whatever the hell he's called nowadays. It doesn't matter because he's irrelevant at this point. But he comes in. And then old Jimmy Nance starts bringing it up every time. And I'm in a, I'm. It's not just two of us watching this game. There's a number of people at my apartment watching this game. And I immediately muted the television. <laughs> and I just said, nope. I will not have it. Until the plays were run, I would unmute it. And then as soon as I heard well, you know, back when he was in it would mute it again, just to make sure that I didn't have to go through that pain again. And then, obviously, Andy Dalton does what he does on two separate plays. Thank God Tyler Huntley came back down the field, because I would be on this inaugural episode on Fansided, the one that, you know, we should be celebrating, having a great time. We're all very, very happy to be partnered with them and to expand our audience just a little bit. I would have been a miserable mess. Because Andy Dalton would have done it again, and just uh, um, that's all I have on their offense. They're fine. Matt Nagy called a terrible play on fourth down in a, in a wildcat, or maybe it was Bill Lazor. Who knows? I'm just going to blame Matt Nagy because I'm sure he had something to do with it. That Bears team has talent on the offensive side. I think Dar- Darnell Mooney is a great player. Obviously, Allen Robinson. He wasn't playing yes or on Sunday, excuse me, but he he can be. A valuable piece for them. I think David Montgomery's okay. I like Khalil Herbert a lot. Justin Fields clearly has the talent as well, but my lord, um, some of the play calling and some of the decision making for that on that side of the football is 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 pretty egregious.
2: Tim, you muting our like distress signals. That's Leonardo DiCaprio and Titanic with with the vote going down and no uh no way to get information to get help. Uh, I, I think
4: it's been unmuted by the way I can report it is you You guys are back to unmuted the game is over so we're okay Jace,
2: you see what you did
3: you see what you? well d- I think I even said in the chat I think I said I'm more worried about Andy Dalton I, I it was just the most predictable thing in the world um Tim very smart call to mute uh Nance he went into some deep cuts like I didn't even really like I don't think about I was shocked they didn't show the play I was sure they were gonna have that queued up Unless I just missed it. I don't remember seeing it. But um, the Andy Dalton thing was just so predictable. And especially in that moment, I, when it came I mean, two plays. Like, it just, like, immediately, um, I'll push back a little that Andy Dalton stinks. I think he's a competent NFL quarterback. And in this game, I
4: th- It was a little tongue-in-cheek, I will admit.
3: <laughs> and in this game, that concerned me. Because, yeah, I, I don't know if it was just Wink versus rookie QB. I think Justin Fields is talented. But he they did not look good. And especially like Just even coming out of halftime So that's when he gets hurt And then to just two plays And it's all the same issues we've seen from the Ravens this year It's a bad coverage B bad tackling as Chuck Clark tries an arm tackle doesn't work takes out Brandon Stevens in the process uh who also was not in seemingly a position to make a great tackle um and, and they just turned this this screen pass into a 60 yard touchdown it's the the eighth um uh play of over 50 yards the Ravens have allowed this season which is not ideal um It would have been nine, uh, but the play we'll get to in just a moment was a 49-yard TD. (laughs) Um, But it was just so predictable for Dalton to come in and immediately score. Like, I was just like, yeah, of course. And the only shocking thing to me at the time was I was like, I was like, are we going to lose this game 7-6? Because, like, immediately after that, they did nothing. And I agree with Tim. Matt Nagy called a horrible game. I mean, the, 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 the fourth down debacle where he's going to punt and then uh oh my headset doesn't work <laughs> and he's oh, man. trying to find All headset. all-time hilarious and then moment. he runs just an awful wildcat play like uh, they have a punt block that helps set up the ravens in a short field that they turn into the field goal to go up but like dalton did nothing the whole rest of the game he looked awful out after that first drive until the play we have to get into i guess because he did nothing he had two plays basically and then
2: it was almost enough to win this game yeah so we we do have to get into it here. uh <laughs> it's seven six bears the ravens finally uh well, i was gonna say get a big drive going but they really don't it's just off of the uh off of the block punt that i thought should have been returned for a touchdown, uh, because Jalen Ferguson seemed to almost overrun the ball while trying to block it. He was there so early; seemingly, he could have just like picked it up out of the punter's <laughs> hands and run it in for a touchdown. But I digress. The Ravens kick a field goal, take a nine-seven lead. The Bears finally march down the field after, yeah, as Jace mentioned, Andy Dalton had not done a lot in the previous few drives, and then we get to fourth and eleven. At the Ravens 49-yard line. And Jace and I are going to slightly disagree on on what the Ravens did here. So I'm going to jump in first, and then I'm going to let Jace disagree. Uh, and I'm just going to say that the Ravens... So they call an all-out blitz on 4th and eleven. That's the Wink-Martindale move. And in theory, blitzing against a double move is the best defensive play call you could ever make because a double move should never have time to develop (laughs) against an all-out blitz. Second, it makes your corners, who at this point are your eighth and ninth guys, in theory, blitzing, makes your corners only have to cover for like two or three seconds as opposed to six seconds. However, Jace, if the blitz doesn't get there in time... You're leaving a guy like Chris Westry on an island on the biggest play of the game. So, your thoughts on the blitz call? I was not happy at the time. I've read. I've. I've. I've done some reading.
3: I, I've looked into it. Um, you know, Harbaugh Antonio had an interesting thing. Um, that in uh, his said he said sometimes. A quick death is better because you're not dead yet. And uh, Jeff Zarebik, obviously athletic uh, reporter for the Ravens, had had a kind of a good breakdown, kind of examining both sides of it. And I, I at least see the argument today that, you know, if, if you stop them, like, giving up the touchdown isn't the worst thing because the Ravens did get the ball back. If they convert the first down, uh, you know, in theory, Cairo Santos, they can run it down, and he can kick a game-winning field goal at the gun. That being said, I was so mad <laughs> at the time about this play. And, it, it, it like, it, I wasn't... to Like, what Tim had said, what you had said, like, with, with... Tyler Huntley starts this game instead of Lamar Jackson, and you're missing Hollywood Brown, who we, ha- in our view, I believe we've said on this podcast, the second-best Ravens offensive player. You're missing your two best offensive players... And, you know, expectations are low. I kind of was like, ah, this game doesn't really matter. Like, I, I was very calm for most of the afternoon, uh, honestly, like, compared to how I normally consume the Ravens. And then they have a chance to win. They're up 9-7. to seven. They have a 4th and 11. The Bears are not in field goal range. You just need to get one stop and you win the game. And then you just leave a guy like Chris, Chris uh, Westry, who's never started a game in his life, but has to now because Anthony Averitt, um suffers kind of a hamstring injury during the week, I believe uh, was what the report was. And he's just on an island. And then you send a blitz and the blitz doesn't get home. Not only does it not get home, they also took a penalty in the process. So even if he didn't complete the pass, the Bears would have gotten a first down thanks to a roughing the passer call. Um, but... It was just, I just thought it was an awful play call. I may have been calling for certain defensive coordinators jobs at that moment in hindsight, a little extreme, but cause and that, but that's just what's so frustrating about this team all year is I think the defense has improved like over the course of the year. Like I think they're really good for logs. Like they give up 13 points in this game, uh, total. Like they're giving up seven all game they just had, have these, these horrific breakdowns at the worst times. And I just thought for a team that's had so many issues, I I, I thought putting those guys in that situation um, was setting them up to fail because, you know, we, Andy Dalton is not good, but he he's competent and he's a veteran and he kind of at the very least should know what to do in that scenario. And sure enough, he did it perfectly and gave the Bears the lead. And, um, you know, it was just a whole here. I was like, at the moment, it was just like, I was like, I cannot believe this is how they're going to lose this game. It was just so infuriating in the moment, but I see the case. I still don't like the call, but I at least can understand the argument for it now.
4: I like when we disagree because one, <laughs> it's interesting. And, you know, uh, we all Antonio being the optimist, Jason, and I being on the complete opposite <laughs> end of that spectrum most of the time. We tend to agree more than disagree on this team. Um, and we see it from a realist point of view. Um, Antonio, I see where you're coming from. And Jace, I'm a little upset you're sitting on the fence because we need to have a conversation <laughs> about wing Martindale. That play call was egregious. And I'll tell you why it's egregious. I hear every argument that you're talking about, Antonio, with, well, in theory, if you can get home, well, in theory, you want the ball back, which, you know, Tyler Huntley was starting. So that I think is, is a little bit of a moot point. In theory, once it, they, there shouldn't be time to pull off a double move. What evidence do we have that the blitz happy Ravens can actually get after the quarterback? We don't have any. The last two years, year and a half, you know, we talk about how much we love Wink. I love the the chain. I love the mullet. I love the sunglasses. When it clearly he didn't need sunglasses on Sunday. It's all great, and I I, I think Wink is a, is a brilliant mind. I'm shocked that he's still a defensive coordinator. I thought he would have gotten a head coaching job by now. But that is the absolute worst call that they could have made in that moment with Chris Westry on an island. And I know you have to have faith in your guys, but at some point you have to look and say, we don't have the dudes that can get to the quarterback. And, and there were some guys that played well. I mean, the fact that, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to them, but like the Patrick Queen had a great game. Tyus Bowser, great game. We'll get those more in detail in just a moment, but... They don't have anybody that can get after the the passer. And even when you send all of those guys, they still didn't get after him. They weren't even that close, to be honest, comparatively to how many dudes they sent. So I just think, I I understand the theory of it. But looking at the talent and looking at your roster and and the evidence of what they've shown over the last two years or whatever it is now, I had no faith that even if you're sending, you know, we do the joke, send the blitz. That they're not gonna get home. And they just don't. They just don't get home. And that's why I think it was the wrong call.
2: Look, I, I mean I agree we have no pass rush, but I think that's why. That's the reason to blitz is because we aren't good at getting to the quarterback and he doesn't want Dalton to have time in that situation. But it's it is, you know, down and distance being eleven yards and not it's not fourth and five, it's fourth and eleven. So you would hope that playing a normal <laughs> Yeah, you know, just a regular defense. On average, you'll give up fewer than eleven yards. <sighs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It didn't. But it work worked out. But it instance. worked out. It worked out. I have. I if it if it were to happen again, I think he's gonna blitz again, and that's what he's shown as a as a coordinator. So we'll see. This there's no, there's no way this can possibly bite the Ravens again later in the season. Well, I do love
4: the following series, right? It's a different situation, I know, and they're gonna play prevent in that situation, obviously. But they blitzed zero. They <laughs> blitzed zero at the start. I think I believe it was Calais Campbell, whoever the defensive lineman was, drops into coverage before deciding, "Eh, I'll give it a go. Why not?" And I'm pretty sure it was John Harbaugh going, "Hey, Wink, uh, yeah, let's do the opposite." And Wink going, "Oh, you want the opposite? You want the real opposite? I won't send anybody this time. How about that?" <laughs> Oh man,
2: uh, Andy. Yeah, I looked I don't. Did that play work? I don't think it did either. Though they still were able to complete a twenty-yard <laughs> pass, and the guy was able to get out of bounds. I mean, there's just no, there's no solutions for this defense. And yet, overall, I think you have to give him a somewhat passing grade. Let's get into Patrick Queen having maybe his best game of the season. Tyus Bowser, maybe the best game of his entire career. And an actual turnover, Jace. We talked about this last week. I didn't know who was going to intercept a pass, but you can absolutely cause a fumble. And the Ravens, able to recover it. Claes Campbell, jump on the ball. Some positive things from this Ravens defense against, to be fair, a fairly futile Bears <laughs> offense. Well, that that's my concern, I guess, uh, the last two weeks. is I, I feel like, on the whole,
3: the Ravens defense has played well, aside from the big plays. But yeah, you I mean, you said Ty's Bowser, he was the guy who forced that fumble um that that Campbell recovered and that was kind of a, in in a big moment when it's still a very low scoring game in the first half um and then he gets the the sack to end the game on a very limited rush, you know. We've actually seen not even the game that I won't mention, but uh, a game the Ravens ended up winning but years before. Thank you. Uh they Andy Dalton completed a Hail Mary uh on a tipped ball to AJ Green um so we we've seen we've seen him do this against the Ravens so to not even give him a chance to get the to to get the Hail Mary off and then to be I, I thought it was really smart to just kind of hold him up until the clock ran out too um that was great yeah I think Bowser easily had his best game two sacks um and Queen I mean his 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 tackle for loss um or at least his uh yeah his tackle for loss lost several yards was basically what set the bears up for the 40 yard field goal they would have had a closer field goal but he had an awesome stop where he just read the play came stre- screaming in and i think he's played a lot better lately i don't know if it's just he has less responsibility for the rest of the defense as a whole but it definitely seems like um his his plays improved and and that's encouraging and and, and bowser especially you said i mean top to bottom i think easily his best game ever in a raven's uniform i mean he he was all over the place and that's like what you need and uh you know kind of goes without saying you pay him to do this marlon Humphrey was awesome i saw he gave up like two completions for like 12 yards or something on the day and he he had an awesome game um but you know that's that's what you expect from him but he, he's had some up and down too so i just wanted to give him a shout out
4: shout out as well yeah with 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 bowser too i mean you pay the guy you don't pay him the the crazy money and look everybody can look at what Judon's doing and even yannick and has been okay um with with the las vegas raiders but bowser needs to have more of these you know i i think he is he's not going to be the premier pass rusher but he's a solid jared johnson set the edge every once in a while have those type of games type guy And it's encouraging to see because I think he's a really solid football player. I think he's developed into a solid starter for this Ravens team after, you know, let's admit it, kind of looking like a bust a little bit earlier in his career um, before they decided to pay him over the likes of Judon and Ngakwe, which, you know, clearly would have been uh, bigger deals, um, obviously. So really encouraging from him. Let's just hope it keeps up. And and you're right. It's been talked about for weeks. And, you know, we say this all the time, smarter guys than us will talk about it, Um but Patrick Queen moving to weak side linebacker and, and putting Josh Bynes in at middle linebacker seems to have worked wonders. So maybe that is his position going forward. And you know what? If that's what it is, that's what it is. And hopefully when the, the market comes in five years, you don't have to pay him nearly as much because it's not as uh, important of a position.
2: A couple of extra intangible special teams type things that I want to bring up. I already touched on Santos misses a 40-yard field goal in the first drive for them. And then, of course, on our side, Justin Tucker, 3-for-3 three three on the road at a the Windy City and a, and a Windy Game and is able to go 3-for-3. Three three. Uh, I thought Cook, we gave him a little bit of uh, criticism last week. I thought he looked strong uh, on punts, even though, uh, let's call him reserve gunner, Tylan Wallace did his absolute best to give the oh. Bears the best field position possible. Uh, first, he's unable to down a punt that bounces in front of him at the 5-yard line, goes into the end zone for a touchback, and then he stops a punt from bouncing back into Bears territory and downs it at the 17-yard line on another punt. And this is the, the these are the little things uh, in life that it's crazy the impact of not having Miles Boykin, who was another inactive for this game. He's their best gunner, and he was inactive, and that's the difference that a random special teamer can make uh, on a game. So hopefully we can get Boykin back at some point. And then I have one more thing that I want to bring up here, and uh, I'll then turn to you after this. And Tim, it kind of ties into your the tweet that you read at the beginning about uh, the Ravens aren't seven and three because they're just lucky. They have good coaching, they have good mentality, and they have players who know what to do in most cases. I got to talk about Matt Nagy. Um, I am I am convinced that he absolutely bsed. The headset not working on the 4th and 1 from midfield. This is my conspiracy theory of the week. The Bears bring the punting punting unit on on 4th and 1. They hear the boos. Nagy realizes that this is not a punting situation. This is a, oh, we need to be going for it. But he can't look bad, so he calls the timeout. And then he starts screaming that his headset isn't working. Uh, But he just realized it late, that they should be going for it on 4th and 1. They end up not getting it. That's just pure theater from from Nagy to not look bad, uh, in my opinion. And then later in the game, when the Bears take the lead with that 4th and 11 touchdown, they make the score 13-9 for you math wizards. That's a four-point lead. They then bring their kicking unit on to make an extra point to make it a five-point lead, which is nothing relevant to football scores or situations they realize it late again that going for an extra point is useless so they call their second or their second time their last timeout at this point they bring their offense back on the field they try to attempt a two-point conversion to make it an actual touchdown lead they fail and then they start that last drive at their 25-yard line with 22 seconds left and zero timeouts because they wasted two of them with two coaching mistakes they were able to get to midfield without any timeouts If they have both of those timeouts, I have serious concerns about the Ravens keeping them out of field goal range. So, Nagy, you did it again. Uh, Thank you very much for for helping the Ravens secure uh, a last-minute win. Anything else, guys, uh, from this Bears game? Any players you want to touch on or or disagree or agree with me about my uh, Nagy conspiracy headset theory?
3: oh i mean 100 percent. i think that's I, it, just the way he mismanaged this game was unbelievable i i think he's a bad coach um his record's actually not quite you as...
4: think jace really go out on a limb there but <laughs> his
3: career record's not quite as bad as people think it is this will be the first season he has a losing record actually he's managed 12 and 4 and two eight and eight campaigns but I just don't, I don't see it with him. And, and I, I worry, you know, you draft Justin Fields and then you have just the competing forces of a guy, uh, coaching to save his job versus, you know, a franchise needing to develop a rookie QB. I think that's always a dangerous combination. So I think it'd be, uh, I think the bears just need a fresh start. <laughs> um, but he certainly, uh, for a guy coaching for his job, he did not put on a, uh, a great performance, um. Uh, especially given, I thought Harbaugh had a pretty great game. All, all things considered, um, it was definitely a contrast uh, of, of head coaching talent uh, for sure. I'd say in this one.
4: Yeah, shout out to you know Greg Roman. He he's gotten a lot of stick, and obviously it wasn't um, you know it wasn't a spectacular offensive performance by any stretch of the imagination. But it was enough to get the job done. It was some good play calls at the very end of that game. Um, I mentioned Rashad Bateman a little bit. I think that guy's going to be a baller. Um, you know, the veteranness of trying to get those flags already is something that is you know you don't want to cheer for people. I mean, it's not even cheating, but you, but it's it's kind of on that line. But it's something you need to do to win games. So I thought that was great. Um, you know, Roman calling that game for Tyler Huntley on short notice like that. I think you know you got to know what you have to take out of the playbook. Try and make things easy for him. I thought that was great as well. Um, and then just two more quick shout-outs. One a positive, one a negative. Calais Campbell continues to have a great year. And um, this this time he capped it off with an Oscar-worthy performance of faking an injury. Uh, when they were trying to, when he was trying to get off the field with, I think there was 12 or 13 men. Calais couldn't get off the field in time. And man, he went down like he had been shot in the thigh. And it was just, you could you could put the Oscar music under it. Give him the award right now. He, and then leans into it for a good five to seven minutes. Like it's not just a, okay, everybody knows I'm faking it. I can get up now and walk off. He's really taking his time getting off the field. Glaes, good guy. He knows he's got to play, play the, play the act through all the way to the end. I love a guy who's in on a bit. Um, and then, and Dude, we don't have the
2: team. The team listed him as questionable to return in yeah. the middle of that game.
4: I'm sure they did. Good, good job. Ravens really committing to the bit. That's what we like to see. Oh.
2: We'll see if he's healthy for next week.
4: Right, yeah, I think he'll be okay. Um, <laughs> my only other one is and this is not a this is not an original thought. This is something that I think a lot of people have, and we don't have to debate it. I know we've been running long on this Bears game featuring Tyler Huntley anyway. I think I'm officially out on Tony Romo. I think Tony Romo came in. I think everybody was super excited about Tony Romo. He brought an excitement. He was caught predicting plays and stuff, which I think is really interesting. As somebody who likes to get nerdy about football, I enjoyed listening to him dissect things at like pre-snap and seeing how that stuff happened. I thought that was really interesting. Um I don't know if the Corona sponsorship came with um, a lifetime supply of Corona lights that he can drink (laughs) before, during, and after games. And continually throughout the week leading up to games while doing research, um, the, I don't know, Jim, I don't know, Jim, (laughs) is getting a little tiresome. And then he's just, he's making jokes about his sister that's like pretending to be in the crowd he's doing like this really weird deep voice to make a joke about something it's just a lot of dad jokes and i'm just tired of it from tony romo he's not he's not dan Deerdorf levels for those of you who've been listening to <laughs> the pod like a raven uh for a while now he's not dan fouts levels i should say for those of you because dierdorf was already gone i, I mixed the two up because they're both just so horrible uh <laughs> definitely not dan fouts levels yet in terms of uh commentators that annoy Tim, which, you know, frankly there are many of them. I will wholeheartedly admit that. But Tony Romo, maybe just get back to like predicting plays and stuff. Stop trying to be goofy Tony. Or, you know, maybe go sober, Tony. That might work for you.
3: <laughs> I, he's definitely wearing on me a little more too, I will say. Um he certainly I, I was I was all in when he came in, but um yeah, these days I'd rather just, you know, your Charles Davis's and uh even like I feel like your, your Greg Olson's, your Mark Sanchez's. I found them interesting on some calls. Akeem Tlaib, give me him. He's awesome. Uh, Robo can just be a lot, uh, especially for in a broadcast where, where for for fifty five minutes of this game, not much was actually happening.
2: <laughs> and he uh, he sort of got caught not knowing something. He tends to be very good with the rules and understanding quarterback play. And he missed the uh, the Ravens substituting under two minutes before the first half ended, and the Bears not being able to substitute in time and that not being a rule where you have to give the defense time to match your substitution. And uh, he had Gene Sterator just can we bring Gene in? uh, Can we bring Gene in in here?
4: Is Gene in here? Can we bring Gene in here? Gene's here. Hey, Gene, what's up? <laughs> Gene, uh, oh. Gene was <laughs> so happy
3: to be like, well, actually, Tony. <laughs>
2: actually, yeah. Maybe maybe the, one of the first well-actuallys that he's had on, on Romo in quite a while. All right, we're going to move past this game. The Ravens somehow win, somehow 7-3. Looking at the rest of the NFL, we're going to turn to the AFC North, where all the Ravens' rivals had sort of interesting games. The Steelers, down. 27 to 10 uh, in the Sunday night feature to the Los Angeles Chargers mount an unbelievable fourth quarter comeback and then blow the game late and the Chargers win that uh, by a final score of 41 37. The Browns I'm gonna put escape versus the Lions because <laughs> my goodness 13 to 10 winners uh, with Baker Mayfield going up against. I don't even know his first name, Tim Boyle, not Todd Boyle, Tim Boyle, who I didn't know who that was before the season started. The Browns hang on in that game at home, and the Bengals rebound after their bye with a big win against the Las Vegas Raiders. The final score is 32-13, but this game was a lot like the Ravens versus the Bengals, where this was, I think it was like a three-point game in the fourth quarter and ended up being <laughs> 32-13 to for the Bengals. What do you guys make of uh, of the performances from the rest of the AFC? Night?
3: I was so distraught that the Steelers were going to win this game. It just had all the makings. We've talked about this on this program. As a uh, To any new people listening, I'm sure you are familiar with the Pittsburgh Steelers' uh, propensity to just absolutely pull, pull games from the rear end that they have n- no business winning. Uh, to just keep the pressure on the Ravens or to stay annoyingly ahead of the Ravens in the standings. Um and this had all the makings of this game and especially given their opponent, you know, it's the Chargers. What franchise has wasted more talent or blown more games in just absolutely agonizing ways of the Chargers over the years. Um you you're in LA, which means it's basically a Steelers home game at least 60 to not I believe Al Michael said 60%. He was his estimate steelers fans i'd guess even more based on the the amount of black and gold you saw in the stands but um it i was just so mad and especially the way the steelers got back into this game it was like a blocked punt and then herbert threw a horrible interception and the steelers converted both of those into short touchdowns like the chargers wildly outgained the steelers in yards in this game it's five 530, thirty-three to three hundred herbert was awesome aside from his one nearly back-breaking interception late in the game. And the Steelers take the lead with, you know, 324 to go. They go up 37-34, and I was just like, oh, my God. I cannot believe the Chargers did this. And then Justin Herbert, my hits Mike Williams, makes an awesome play, runs down the sideline, and uh, the Chargers pull it out. I was pleasantly surprised. It was one of those games that it was, you know – I wanted the Steelers to lose, but like the chargers winning also doesn't really help the Ravens in the broader, uh, you know, making the playoffs picture. Cause we're going to be competing one way or the other with all these teams, but the Steelers losing definitely helps uh, more than the chargers winning or uh, Steelers losing helps more than the chargers winning. So, um, I was pleasantly surprised and especially considering, as you said, Antonio, um, the other two AFC North teams, uh, pulled it out. Um, not convincingly, but still to just get wins and st- stay on the Ravens heels, at least one of their rivals lost. And it looked like, it looked like, you know, they the Steelers nearly won a game that they should have lost convincingly. So I was glad the Chargers pulled it out. Um, but yeah, it was a wild one. Uh, you, you don't see scores that high uh, very often, especially if Steelers score 37 points again, all of 300 yards. It's kind of the, it's kind of the same old story with them. They have the same offensive problems just game after game. And Justin Herbert rocks. And then uh, the Chargers being the Chargers kicked in in the fourth quarter there when uh, they were they were outscored uh, in the final frame uh, by 27-14. <laughs> but they still managed to hold on to get the victory.
4: Yeah, I mean, we got to talk about Cleveland, right? Do the, we? The fighting. <laughs> We'll get, and we'll do more of this in detail uh, when we preview the game coming up here later in the program. So we don't have to um, completely talk about uh, everything that happened with this Cleveland Browns team. And I know it took the Ravens a record-setting field goal to beat the, the fighting Dan Campbells and the Detroit Lions. I understand. But we also do not have a quarterback whose wife feels the need to go on social media after games and say things like this. No one better say anything bad about Baker Mayfield after this game. I don't think I've seen toughness like this in a while. Maybe the rest of our team should take a hint and get tougher.
3: Is that uh is that why Baker Your daily... Is that Your why... daily
4: update into the Cleveland drama that has happened, and who knew that Cleveland, that city could be the perfect place for a soap opera. But apparently it is. Baker Mayfield, I get it. He's banged up, right? He's suffering injuries. I watched that man sail so many balls that a bum shoulder doesn't fix anyway. He had some terrible pass in this game. I think it was one or two interceptions, at least one, that he just overthrows his receiver by about a mile. Uh, and then, you know, the, the safety who's covering in the back is able to pick it off. Nick Chubb looks fine. I hate that I love Nick Chubb, especially when he's not wearing gloves. But it's just, wh- like, what, what do you do if you're a Cleveland fan? And, and maybe we could do this a little bit later as well. But I, I just, the question is there. You're getting to the point where you have to pay this guy. And there's excuses, excuses, excuses. But when you have stuff like this, quote, maybe the rest of our team should take the hint and get tougher. What happens to Baker when he goes in on Monday to break down film? You know, what What do the guys say in the locker room about that? It can't be good, right? Well, Tim,
3: I, I was going to say, I didn't know there were comments on social media because perhaps this is, uh, Baker had some fires to put out and that's why he, uh, declined to talk to the media after this game. Like a, a petulant child and stormed out of the, <laughs> did, not, did not show up for, uh, his media availability that he was, uh, you're supposed to as an NFL player, um, at least be made available, uh, so that's not a great look uh, that that tweet and also not speaking <laughs> to the media after this game um, th- I don't know what to make of the Browns they, this should have been a game they won handily I mean even as bad as Baker was and he was terrible <laughs> once again but you're up 13 nothing on the Tim Boyle led uh, Lions and Antonio there's no reason to know who Tim Boyle was he was Aaron Rodgers' backup for a few years um and uh, uh, Roger Sherman of The Ringer pointed this out. Boyle, one of the worst college quarterbacks of recent times to have ever made the NFL. He he finished with significantly more interceptions. Uh, in college, playing at first UConn for Bob Diaco, and then uh, he transferred to Eastern Kentucky and was still bad there at the FCS level. It's inexplicable why he's in the NFL. And uh, he had all of seventy-seven yards and two picks and two awful interceptions. And yet, the the Browns don't score in the second half, and it doesn't make any sense because Nick Chubb Nick Chubb finishes with twenty-two carries for one hundred and thirty yards. You would think the entire you're up thirteen nothing at halftime against Tim Boyle, who finishes with seventy-seven yards. You think your game plan should just be, hey, let's just give Nick Chubb the ball every single play and will probably win this game. And, you know, Baker throws a horrible pick uh, in the second half uh, that makes this game way more in doubt than it should have been. It's just very confusing. Like they, They're the best running team in the NFL, and yet the Browns don't seem to be able to, like, fully put games away and I think it circles back to just Baker Mayfield he, he just misses throws and I know he's hurt but at, at a certain point and we can talk more in the preview but at, at what point does a Baker that has a lot of he does have a lot of injuries but like is he good enough with that many injuries like I'd rather just have Case Keenum Case Keenum is a good backup in this league I feel like that's just a like if Baker's this hurt play Case Keenum and I don't know why the Browns are so hesitant to do that
2: yeah Mayfield getting close to a situation where they just don't extend him and just let him play the last year of the contract next year and try to have the rebound year and then go from there I think and you're there boy, already Dwight. I honestly
4: think you're there already I really would
2: do. I love to have another season of the Browns where that's just a constant distraction every single week about whether or not they're going to extend him or let him walk We're going to talk about the Browns some more so I'm going to move past them, and I'm going to go to the rest of the NFL. I have a couple of points here, and then you guys, whatever your favorite game was, whatever was most interesting to you, please bring it up. But I'm officially terrified of the Chiefs again. Uh, It was a good run. They were mediocre for a couple of weeks there, and now they're just scoring a lot, and they got the mojo, and Patrick Mahomes is smiling and running all over the field. (laughs) And I'm not on TikTok, but I'm going to assume there's fewer TikToks from his brother that are just obnoxious. Uh, So good things coming out of Kansas City. Indianapolis absolutely stomps the Buffalo Bills, who are looking more and more mediocre as the season progresses. Uh, they look like they were going to be the number one seed for a little bit. They look like they had an MVP candidate in their starting quarterback, Josh Allen. And they just, they have no interest in taking care of the football whatsoever. Interceptions, fumbles. They had a kick returner strip over his own feet and then fumble. I don't know if I've seen that before, so just good job by you, Bills. But Indianapolis becoming uh, the latest it team after a few victories and also becoming the latest it team because the Tennessee Titans, who were the previous it team, of course lose at home to the Houston Texans when they were 10.5-point favorites in a game where Tyrod Taylor for the Texans Had 107 passing yards, where the Texans averaged 2.2 yards per carry, and the Titans still lose. And we're losing the entire game, mostly with the help of Ryan Tannehill's four interceptions and the Titans' five overall turnovers. Guys, what from the NFL this week grabbed your attention? The Like, this was predictable. Not predictable, because I certainly didn't see
3: this coming, but we talked about... The Titans are going to have a letdown without Derrick Henry. The Titans are going to have a letdown with Derrick Henry. But they managed to rip off five straight wins all over playoff teams from last year. And we said, wow, the Titans might be the best. And then they lose to the Texans, who might have been the worst team in the NFL entering um, (laughs) this week. And you said, like, I think they have real problems. Like, they can't run uh, the ball, really. (laughs) Certainly well without Henry. In There for his you know requisite 30 carries a game. Uh, Adrian Peterson 40 yards on nine carries. Um, they just crack 100 as a team, and this game is just so weird. The Titans got down, the Texans did nothing in the second half. Uh, they they uh they they went on uh four consecutive three and outs at one point in the second half. Um, but uh, between those three and outs, the Titans managed to do a turnover on downs, interception, did score a touchdown and then another interception. So that's how you don't get back in a game when the other, when a very bad team is begging you to uh, get back in the game. Um, otherwise, yeah. Uh, Jonathan Taylor might be making an MVP push this year where there's not really uh clear cut MVPs, five touchdowns, 185 yards. That'll get it done <laughs> against most teams. Um, and um, tied into this, you didn't mention them. So we kind of have to, Um with that loss to a Colts team, I do think is improving certainly compared to where they were when the Ravens played them. Um, uh, the Patriots are in first place in the AFC East, um, after Buffalo loses this game, uh, new England, five straight wins, a 25, zero shutout of the Atlanta Falcons on Thursday night. Um, the Patriots are in first place in the AFC East again. They're somehow in the driver's seat to win that division. I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, and, yeah, the Chiefs, um, I think, are probably somehow uh, going, to the, going to win the AFC West and probably uh, win the AFC again because their defense that went from worst in the NFL has been, like, a top five unit the last month. And um, that's terrifying. Chris Jones had three and a half sacks of Dak Prescott in that game on Sunday. 19-9, uh, to nine, certainly not the uh, the fireworks we expected when Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott faced off. But uh, I think that was a pretty pretty impressive performance for a Cowboys team that had been rolling offensively.
4: Yeah, I, we got to stop hyping up the biggest games because they always turn out to be stinkers. I feel like, and maybe that, maybe that I, the statistics might not prove that to be true, but it always just kind of seems to be the same thing. You guys have covered the AFC in detail. Um, you know, I agree with pretty much everything you said. So I'll just go to two games in the NFC: Packers Vikings was awesome. Um, you know, Darnell Savage, former Maryland grad, like the three of us, or former Maryland student, I should say, had the game in his hands and it was an, it ruled an incomplete pass. And Kirk cousins credit to him did what Kirk cousins sometimes does. And it was show <laughs> up in, in a big moment. Uh, it's rare, but he did 24 of 35, 341 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Aaron Rodgers throws four touchdowns and still can't get the job done. And then Justin Jefferson is already, I think probably a top seven receiver in this league. He was eight catches, 169 yards and two touchdowns. Just doing the gritty over everybody. Big win for the Vikings. The Vikings sit at five and five now, and they are probably the best five and five team uh, in the NFL. And maybe of all time at this point, they are a very good team, very talented. uh, Even with, as we talked about many a time on this podcast, Mike Zimmer seeming like, you know, he just wants to die rather than be the Vikings head coach.
3: Well, so that game, Tim, uh, I'm I'm glad you mentioned it just because this is a a very fascinating stat from Nate Davis, one of my colleagues at USA Today Sports. Um, over the past three weeks, division-leading NFL teams have lost eleven games to opponents who didn't have a winning record. Uh, this is this is the year of parody, uh, as you saw, as you mentioned. You know, the Vikings, a team that stumbled out of the gate, back to five hundred. Uh, the Texans t- beating the Titans for no reason. This is one of the sh- most shocking years I can remember, and that certainly, you know. We we'll talk about more when the Ravens play Browns. This is the beginning of the hard stretch, but to be seven and three in this year where every team um, is basically beatable is very good news for the Ravens.
4: Yeah, and then real quickly too, just to wrap on this, um, credit to Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is playing like an actual starting NFL quarterback in this league. Um, You know, they beat they beat Trevor Simeon in the Saints, and it's Trevor Simeon, so you know, take it for what it's worth. But they beat the brakes off the Saints, forty to twenty nine. Nick Sirianni might know what he's doing, and and Hurts, you know, he might be the guy for them in Philadelphia, which is which will be encouraging to see.
2: All right, with that, before we get to our Ravens verse Browns preview, we're gonna do the random Raven. Which for the new listeners this week, every episode, the three of us, well, I should say two of us, try to guess. A random dude who the other co-host has selected. We offer a couple of clues and then repeat the clues and answer the random raven trivia question at the end of the episode. I I wouldn't say we try to stump uh, our two co-hosts when we do this, but we we try to make it a challenge. Some legendary random ravens we've already covered. B.J. Sams, Jim Leonard, uh, Clarence Moore. Oh, that was a good one. Deion Sanders, Corey Graham, Haruki Nakamura, a lot of random dudes. And I am up this week with the Random Raven. And I I am not gonna say it's easy, um, but it is, and this is my first clue. This random Raven is currently an active NFL player, which is very unusual for us. I think we tend to do former dudes. But this random Raven is currently on an NFL roster. He played for the Ravens for three seasons from 2014 to 2016 after bouncing around the league his first two seasons after being drafted in the seventh round by the Green Bay Packers in 2011. The Ravens claimed this defensive lineman off waivers early in the 2014 season, and he would end up recording 74 tackles and and 5.5 sacks over his 43 games with the team after playing with the ravens this player signed a four-year 20 million dollar deal to play for the dreaded new england patriots and has started 71 games for them since (laughs) this past offseason he signed another four-year extension this time for 11.5 million dollars with the patriots who is this random defensive lineman and I'll repeat those clues at the end of the episode. I can't give too much because he's an active player. So there's not a lot there. I think I have but, him uh, if he's still on the Patriots. Just a, just a classic New England... New England. I don't want to say steal, but a classic New England uh,
4: sign have... Matt Judon.
2: <laughs> the Patriots have a shocking number of
3: guys who have just been on their team for like nine seasons. And you're like, what?
2: I saw all those years... And I was like, what is this guy, like 35 years old? He's 31. Still just 31, seemingly, after all of that. Uh, but yeah, I was, uh, dare I say, shocked by the number of games that he started. for the That he started 71 games <laughs> for the Patriots. I did not realize that for this random Raven, who I will answer at the end of the episode. But for now, it is time to preview. Ravens hosting the Cleveland Browns at the Bank. Ravens are four and a half point favorites in this one, and my first point that I need to discuss in this preview is that I have no idea. I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if Lamar Jackson is going to play. I don't know if Hollywood's going to be healthy. I don't know which Browns team is going to show up, the one that can score points and is good defensively, or the one that is seemingly in a 10-7 game the past few weeks. But we're going to start with the Ravens offense going up against the Browns' defense. And obviously the issue is, can the Ravens get healthy? But assuming that we at least get Lamar Jackson for this game, can the Ravens offensively establish any sort of offensive rhythm? They have scored an opening drive touchdown once, all season, and it was in their best game, which was their (laughs) blowout win against the Chargers. Now, this is a team who's... Basically, their entire identity is, was, should be getting a lead early and then dictating from there with their power run game. Jackson hasn't played in two-plus two, two plus weeks. Do I think he's going to come out sharp in the first quarter of this game? No, I do not. And yet, that is the challenge for this Ravens offense. What do you guys think uh, Lamar and the offense can do in this game? It's so hard, like you said, just because... We, we we were so optimistic
3: going to the Bears game. We were like, it was a bad Monday night, but we have 10 days to prepare and our starting quarterbacks out um, <laughs> with a, a mystery illness that isn't the flu and isn't COVID, and but no one knows what it is and it sounds very serious. Um, you know, according to ESPN, they, they said uh, it was congestion in his lungs. That's not good. So a big question mark with him. I agree with you. I think he plays. I do not think he will be sharp out of the gate. Um, big concern, you know, Robert Quinn had three sacks against the Ravens and you mentioned their tackles were under siege. Well, uh, no offense to Robert Quinn, a very good player for a long time in this league. Miles Garrett's way better than Robert Quinn at this point. Garrett leads the NFL in sacks with 13. And, um, Uh, Yeah, he could get five in this game the way the Ravens offensive line has been playing if they don't, you know, have a plan for him. I do think Nick Boyle back will help. He will almost certainly almost be exclusively trying to chip and help on Miles Garrett uh, with probably Alejandro Villanueva, unless, you know, they can move Garrett around. But I imagine Boyle will be following Miles Garrett to try to help in that sense. So it's good to have him back in that way. I am with you, though. I am not expecting a ton of success. Um, for this Ravens offense, it's it it is hard to tell because the Browns defense is just so inconsistent. Like like they're good, their rankings are good. They're, they're they're eighth against the pass, seventh against the run. But they've been some teams have really like put points on them. Obviously, the Patriots scored forty five points just two weeks ago against them. The Chargers put up forty seven against the Browns. So you, this team can be exploited, but I just. I just have concerns that, you know, Miles Garrett's the best player on the Browns. Um, and he's going up against what might be the worst unit on the Ravens. Um, and, and that concerns me. So I think, I think rhythm will be poor. I think it's going to be grinded out. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just not super optimistic. Uh, and as we've said, um, the last two weeks, people have been blitzing like crazy. I, Kevin Stefanski is a smart coach. I'm sure they'll they've seen they've seen the blitz stuff so i'm sure they'll be bringing pressure but the scary thing with the browns is because of garrett and Clowney, they don't need to really yeah, miles garrett's good enough to just get to your quarterback so i'm he's my number one concern and i think it's gonna he's gonna make uh for a long night on offense i think
4: yeah i mean that <laughs> on that side of the football it starts and ends with miles garrett and I think you're I think you're spot on with Boyle. I think that they're going to bring him in. They might even bring in extra tackles and just we're going heavy pass pro and let's hope Hollywood if he plays, Bateman, Mark Andrews can get open, things like that. I think establishing the run will be very, very important. Uh, you know the Browns are very good at stopping the run. They only give up about a hundred yards uh, per game uh, rushing rushing in terms of defense. Yeah, they rank, if I can do the quick math here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Thanks, ESPN for not putting numbers there. <laughs> Seventh in the league in yards per game in terms of rushing, giving up just over a hundred yards. I think it's important to try and establish that, even though we know Lamar can kind of air it out and again, as you said, we're assuming he can play. But Miles Garrett could win this game by himself, I think. I think if Miles Garrett, who is quick enough to catch Lamar is an absolute freak of an athlete, if Villanueva andor Makari don't have probably their best performances of the season against him, It could be a long day in terms of establishing rhythm for this Ravens offense.
2: On the other side of the ball, I think all three of us will agree that the X factor is not Baker Mayfield, but Nick Chubb. Can the Ravens, who have struggled against big, powerful running backs, who have struggled to tackle over large swaths of this season, can they do enough not to stop Nick Chubb? He's going to do some stuff. He's going to break some runs. Can they do enough to contain him? And can they eliminate, Jace, this might be, I'll, I'll have Tim answer first, but this question's really for you. Can the defense eliminate the 50-yard plays, which they have struggled also to do all season? And then really my biggest concern is can they cover the Browns' tight ends? they The Ravens' defense has struggled really against good tight ends. They gave up 100 yards receiving to Travis Kelsey in Week 2. They gave up 100 yards and like 87 catches to Darren Waller <laughs> in Week 1. They even struggled against C.J. Uzoma of the Bengals. He had two touchdowns and broke tackles. The Browns' tight ends, meanwhile, have 65 combined catches in the season. So I really see Njoku and Austin Hooper providing problems, let's say, in terms of covering and tackling. But let's start first uh, with Nick Chubb. Can they do enough to keep him, I mean, just under 100 yards? That would really be, I think, a, a win for this Ravens defense.
4: Absolutely not. Because what's going to happen is Nick Chubb is going to go for fifty one time. You know, I'll answer <laughs> for, for Jace before he goes. He is going to break one, and there's they're going to miscontain somewhere. Somebody's going to miss a tackle. We saw it even with David Montgomery, who got stuffed in the backfield a couple times and still ended up gaining seven yards. For Chubb, that's about 25 uh, because he's just able to bounce off guys, and he's that strong. I... If Kevin Stefanski gets cute, I think is a massive benefit for the Ravens. He is a good coach. He can call a relatively good game plan. I think if they stick with Chubb and Chubb is good early, again, could be a long day for this Ravens defense. You kind of hope that you see, and I know it's a different unit and injuries and what have you. But for me, I kind of look at the playoff victory over the Titans last season of just focus on Derrick Henry. Just focus on Nick Chubb. And you know what? Let Baker try and beat you. Or let Case Keenum, if it's him, try and beat you. Does that terrify me from a pure fan point of view as somebody who's going to be freezing at that game in the upper deck? Yes, it terrifies me that I might have to come on here the following uh, Monday slash Tuesday and discuss a relatively good Baker performance. And I promise you, I will lie through my teeth if he is actually good. And I will say he was not, and he was not the reason they won. But I think that's what you have to do. You throw everything you can... At Nick Chubb, you try and stop that, and you keep his his yards per carry to anywhere from two and a half to four, and you might have a chance.
3: Yeah, it's just so concerning with him. I, the Ravens do have a run, a good run defense, we should say, and the
4: offensive line too. We should say their offensive line as part of that because big guys get credit too. Their offensive line is incredible.
3: It is. They have a great line, and and Chubb's awesome. I mean, we've talked about him being one of you know the. More underrated players in the NFL. The thing, so the Ravens have a good run defense. They're actually second in the NFL in defensive rush yards against per game. Um, now, there's probably a few reasons for that. They're 31st in pass yards against, so I think most teams rightfully uh, are probably trying to exploit that. But. Um, I think a a big thing to watch certainly this week will be the health of Brandon Williams. I don't think it's a secret that the Ravens run defense over the last 10 years now has been significantly better when Brandon Williams plays versus when he's out, he was out against the bears. Um, But it would certainly be great to have him uh, in the middle, taking up some space uh, to, to try to limit Chubb's running lanes. Um, I'm with Tim. I don't know that the Browns get a 50 yard pass, but uh, We've seen Chubb run for 80 yards against this defense on single plays in the past. Um, so if they get a 50-yard play, I think it will be him on the ground. Um, you know they've had success at limiting him at times in the past. The Browns' offense in general, you know, we talked about it talking about their game recap a little bit. Wildly inconsistent. So this is the last month, uh, um, Antonio. the 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 Browns won 17-14 against the Broncos lost 15, 10 to the Steelers beat the Bengals 41 to 16 outlier, because then the next week they lost 45 to seven and then they won 13 to 10. So, you know, in the last month they they're in their scores, they've scored 17 points, 15, 13. This has not been an offense that is putting a lot of points on the board. Uh, certainly been having trouble turning their yardage output into points. Um, so that's at least encouraging that the browns haven't been playing well Baker Mayfield's health I think has played a, a large factor in that um and that's obviously a question mark. I don't know if he if they pull the cord and go with case Keenum for this game at a certain point if his injuries become too untenable but um yeah Chubb Chubb's the concern he he's the focus and i I, I agree with him I mean I think if you if you put all your energy stopping him like we know Jarvis Landry's gonna get some but without the threat of OBJ there who Marlon Humphrey had shut down maybe Marlon just shadows Jarvis Landry the whole game that's certainly what I hope they do but um Landry's obviously killed them in the past but just with Baker's health I'm not super super worried about uh the Browns passing game despite uh the Ravens clear uh issues versus the pass um I do think they've been playing better in general, on defense of uh, recently. Um, but the big plays have obviously been the problem. So that'll be, obviously, if they can limit those, that always goes a long way. Um, football field's not that long. When you give up 50 yards, that ends at a touchdown a lot of times. Um, so, yeah, if they could not do that, that would certainly help.
2: I can't believe I'm saying I hope Anthony Averett is back for this game. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just I hope Jimmy Smith is healthy for this game. We just... Even with Nick, I agree that Nick Chubb is going to be the number one issue in terms of stopping him, but if we have to play, whatever it is, 60 snaps defensively with the secondary that we had against the Bears, I have big concerns, uh, even outside of how the running game goes. The Ravens, in the last four games, last two seasons, against the Browns have scored 31 points, 25 points, 47 points and 38 points. I think I switched that uh, chronologically, but they've put up points against the Browns consistently in the Lamar Jackson era. And so because of that, I think this is going to be a very low scoring affair. Uh, I think the Ravens struggle to score in the first quarter, maybe even the second quarter, uh, because that's what just what they've shown over the past several weeks. And Lamar Jackson very very likely is going to be rusty or not even healthy or may not even play uh so with that if we're going to turn now to uh to our gambling section again i've been so wrong with them (laughs) i'm not going to count my pick last week the ravens were six and a half point favorites and then lamar jackson didn't play in this game and the line moved to minus one i can't count it i would not have taken the ravens at minus six and a half if uh if tyler huntley was the starting quarterback so with that I went 1-1 last week as a caveat. But for this particular game, I have to take the Browns at plus 4.5. I think it's a classic Ravens win. Don't cover. It's going to be loud. It's a home game. It's prime time. It's Sunday night. Uh, That will help. But I just have not seen the Ravens offense consistently put drives together, consistently put points together in enough weeks to where I'm concerned uh, about this game. And I think it ends up being a Justin Tucker field goal that, that wins this game. So I'm taking the Ravens to win, but I'm picking the Browns at plus four and a half. My other two picks this week are the New England Patriots, who just came off of a shutout road win against the Atlanta Falcons. They get the Titans this week, and I think they keep rolling. I'm taking New England at minus five and a half at home against the Titans. And then I'm doing, I'm just trying to feed off what the NFL has been all season, basically. Whatever team does extremely well one week then ends up doing terrible the next, the Indianapolis Colts, off of their gigantic win in Buffalo, are now hosting this former Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Buccaneers are less than a field goal favorite in this game. They're two-and-a-half point favorites, and I am jumping all over that. Tampa Bay is better than the Colts. Tom Brady is better than Carson Wentz, and I get them at less than a field goal I'm taking that. So Browns plus four and a half new England minus five and a half and then Tampa Bay at minus two and a half.
4: I'll just go real quickly here. Cause I agree with you. Uh, mostly here. Uh, I did win the Chicago bet even with Lamar and I'm going to count it. I lost the green Bay minus two and a half and then lost Dallas. I thought it was a prove it game for Dallas. And of course, as I just mentioned earlier in the show, do not hype up these games, these big, 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 big games. Cause they always end up stinking. Um, this week, Browns plus four and a half for everything Antonio said and everything we've talked about. Um, I'm with you on Tampa Bay. Tampa, as as we record this, are playing on Monday Night Football against the New York Giants. So maybe this narrative changes. Maybe this line changes if they uh, perform well or poorly against Daniel Jones and company. But I'm with you. Indy's going to be the story. Jonathan Taylor's going to be the story this week. Tampa's a better football team. Like, come on, this is easy, and it's it's minus two and a half. It's not even three and a half. It's, it's a field goal. I know it's away from home, but it's Tom Brady in Indianapolis. You know who really hates Indianapolis? Tom Brady. They've had b- plenty of battles over the years, and that guy just needs to find a little thing to, to motivate him. That should be enough. Give me Tampa as well. And sort of, I can't quit him again. I'm taking Dallas minus seven on Turkey Day at home. To Las Vegas, I think the the Raiders are reeling. Obviously, a ton of off the field issues have happened, and it's shown. And it, it seems like they are missing some guys. Um, you know, on field they are missing Henry Ruggs and his deep threat ability. And you know, obviously for good reason, that man will never play football ever again. But I think Dallas. If they lose this game or it's tight, we're starting to have this conversation about, wow, maybe Dallas isn't this elite team that we thought they were. I think they need to show out. I know it's on a short week, but give me the Cowboys minus seven. Uh,
3: I'm going with the exact same, uh, the Cowboys for the same reason, Tim. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving crowd always likes that game. And, uh, I, I agree. The Raiders are not reeling. Derek Carr had this to say after, after their loss to the Bengals. I'm fed up. I just want to be a part of the moment it changes. I want that so bad. It shouldn't always end like this crap. That does not seem, uh, to me, you know, I'm not an expert of, uh, on the Raiders, but that does not seem like a team that's in a good place when your quarterback's uh, dropping that, quote, post-game after a loss to Cincinnati, and now they have to turn around on a short week. Travel, you know, you're not home on Thanksgiving. Uh, the Cowboys, the last time they were home, beat the Falcons by 40. Um, I, it just doesn't seem to to speak well for, for the Raiders, and I think they're going to want to have a strong response. Uh, the Cowboys uh, after that game against KC. um, for our Ravens, I am also taking the Browns plus four and a half. Um, I do think the Ravens can win this game. Certainly. Um, it should be noted. It's their first home game in a little while. Um, uh, just given the schedule. So that, that's nice to, to get back to the bank on prime time. We haven't had a prime. We had so many prime time games to start the season, uh, but haven't, haven't had one in a while. Um, I don't know what the weather will be. It'll probably starting to get cold in, uh, in Maryland in November, I'm guessing. Um, but- I
4: can report that because I have been looking at it, seeing as we will be, I will be attending this game. 37 degrees at kickoff. <laughs>
3: that is not warm. That was close to freezing, Tim.
2: (laughs) But, uh, so... Tim, Jace from Los Angeles, unable to comprehend what a 37-degree day would be like. I'll
4: be in shorts, baby. Get out of here. No, I won't be. I'll be freezing.
3: (laughs) Um, But, yeah, like you all said, I think the Ravens could win if they do. I think it's a field goal. I think it's another close game. Um, Just, uh, I have concerns with the offense, um, the defense. Who knows um, <laughs> on a play-by-play week-to-week basis. So uh, from a gambling perspective, I cannot in any confidence say you should bet on the Ravens as four and a half point favorites in this game. I won't be shocked if they cover it, but um, I, it just doesn't seem like, you know, a smart play. And then uh, the Falcons who have been absolutely decimated something to the effect of 68 to three in the last two weeks after uh, climbing back to 500, uh, I'm picking them because they are in a pick against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are a horrible team. And, uh, you know, the Florida job just opened. We have three top ten college football jobs open. I am almost positive Urban Meyer's thoughts are somewhere that isn't the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, you know, even if he won't leave, perhaps, I don't think he'll pull a Bobby Petrino, let's say. But I, I still am of the mind that Urban isn't long for the NFL um, especially with all these marquee openings uh, in the college ranks, so I don't know. I I just can the can like the Jaguars be considered a pickup? I think Matty Ice has to beat the Jags, right? If you don't, you're in trouble. So Falcons in a pickup is the final pick of the week. All
2: right, I like those picks. I have questions with Dallas at minus seven, just because I don't know who they're throwing the ball to. Amari Cooper will be out for this game. CeeDee Lamb with a concussion likely to be out considering it's a short week uh so i'm just not sure about how many points they're going to be able to score but otherwise uh i like all your other picks and jace that falcons pick is certainly something so uh good good luck to you there in uh, in a game of yeah. W- w- when we're on this <laughs>
3: program next week talking about uh trevor lawrence's best game as a pro when he throws for 470 yards or something uh
2: i'll, 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 I'll hand up it <laughs> all right last thing for us to do now is go over the random raven one more time and i have the clues ready for you guys this random raven is currently an active (laughs) nfl player he played for the ravens for three seasons from 2014 to 2016 after bouncing around the league in his first few seasons after being drafted in the seventh round by the green bay packers in 2011 the ravens claimed this defensive lineman off waivers early in the 2014 season and he would end up recording 74 tackles and 5.5 and sacks over his 43 games with the team. After playing with the Ravens, this player signed a 4-year, $20 million deal to play for the New England Patriots and has started 71 games for them since. This past offseason, he signed another 4-year deal, this one for $11.5 million with the Patriots. Who is this random Raven?
4: I have an idea as well, Jace, but you go ahead. You go first, and then I can confirm. So
3: the name I pulled was Lawrence Guy.
4: That's who I have as well.
2: It is Lawrence Guy. That is this week's Random Raven. What a pull by Jace and Tim. I wasn't positive he was still active. I, I remember hearing the name last year. Do not think I'd heard much of it this year. Then I realized... This guy has started pretty much every game for them <laughs> since he's been there, and has another four-year extension with the Patriots. So he will be there at least another few seasons. The- Lawrence guy, just a just a stout, just a slightly guy, slightly above average just player, guy. I guess. Yeah,
3: there's a number, there's a shockingly high number of Ravens to Patriots players over the years. It speaks, I think, to the Ravens talent identification process that Belichick's like, Oh, that's a good player. It's someone I want. Uh, And then they almost always have more success with the Patriots. Uh, You know, I don't think we've done this guy as a random Raven, but a guy like John Simon comes to mind. He was definitely on the Ravens at some point. Don't Uh, forget
4: about Sean Wade and Ben (laughs) Mason, who were both drafted by the Ravens this year and then picked up by the Patriots. And I believe neither of them is still on the team,
3: but yeah. So, um, yeah, Lawrence Guy, I remember him on the Pats. Did not know he was still on the Pats, frankly. Um, and had no idea he'd done that much for the Pats. That's fascinating.
2: That is going to do it for us this week as we approach Thanksgiving. So I, I just want to say here quickly that I, uh, I'm i thankful for my two co-hosts, Tim Horsey and J7s. Uh, I'm thankful for Lamar Jackson and, and all, all the wins and all the fun that he has provided to, uh, to us uh, and the Baltimore Ravens. I'm thankful to Fansided. Thrilled to to be uh to be a part of their uh, of their podcast network moving forward. Um, and I'm thankful for good football. So if if there's nothing else from my two co hosts here for Tim Horsey and J Evans, I'm Antonio Barbera. Have a lovely Thanksgiving, and we will see you next week.